Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you've been watching us and with us for a while, you know that last week we wrapped up what was uh, about an eight-week study uh, through the book of Esther, that Old Testament story, uh, which uh, was a great place for us to be and much for us to learn and to be encouraged by. Uh, But being in an Old Testament book, as has been our habit in, in years past, uh, we now move to a New Testament book and a New Testament study, but where exactly, uh, simply put, I'm not sure yet. And so uh, I'm buying myself a bit, of a t- a bit more time uh, in these next few weeks and uh, today beginning what, uh, what is essentially going to be a, a little mini-series uh, a mini-series that I'm entitling, uh, Matters of the Heart. Matters of the Heart. You see, I've reminded us of this fact before. Uh, the fact that God is at work in 2020. And God is at work not just in the rise and fall of leaders and the rise and fall of viruses, but even in the mundane, maybe we would say especially in the mundane of our lives. And especially when it comes to us, his people, those who confess and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. He is so, the Lord is so interested in rooting out sin and replacing it with the righteousness of his son and allowing us, his people, to experience all the resulting promises that flow from abiding in Jesus. He wants to not only give us new hearts, but he wants to give us changed hearts, new lives. And so for the next few weeks, I'd like for us to look at some of the the fruit of a life lived by the Spirit and not by the flesh in hopes that we, the church, would be further grounded and rooted and encouraged and challenged. So this morning we turn and begin this little mini-series with some of Jesus' words. Some of Jesus' words found in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, this lengthy sermon that Jesus gave some 2,000 years ago that goes much deeper than simply laying out a, a moral ethic for us to follow. A lot of people, as they look at Jesus from the outside, that's what they see. It was a a, a moral example, and and the Sermon on the Mount is just a, a great life to be lived. Well, that's true, but Jesus' words were so much more insightful and so much deeper that they cut to our very hearts, hearts in need of change. I love this passage. You and I... You who have grown up in the church, we have read this passage hundreds of times probably, but it's one that our hearts need to hear again and again and again. And so I'm going to read it for us, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, reading down through verse 
33. 34, excuse me. So listen as I read. This is God's holy word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Well, I probably don't have to tell you this, but what a year it's been. (laughs) Even this weekend, even this very morning. Let me introduce you to a word that perhaps has been part of your 2020 experience. It's the word worry. Life had enough troubles without 2020, didn't it? I mean, you name it. Finances. Do I have enough for retirement? Do I have enough for my kid's college? Do I know where I'm going to get the money to pay next month's bills? Worry about relationships. Will I ever get married? Will he ever change? Will our relationship ever get better? Worries about health. Will I ever feel better? Worries about the future. Will I get the job? Will I be able to keep this job Life had enough worries without 2020, and then 2020 hit. COVID-19, 
social unrest, riots in the street, a, a presidential election and all the rhetoric and, and divides sur- surrounding that. And now, now fires, smoke in the air, people losing their homes and even their lives. Things, <laughs> things have escalated, haven't they? We've gone from this low-level worry manifesting itself with, with butterflies in our stomachs to high-level worry resulting in sleepless nights and bouts of depression and even physical pain. And while I recognize this morning as I speak to you that some of you have, some of us have more of a propensity towards worry, this kind of thing is, is not simply for those people. This is a human problem. This is a symptom of our creaturehood and, and especially our young people. I know that you young people, you worry. You worry a lot. And you didn't have to learn how to worry. Mom and dad didn't teach you how to worry. You see, worry is connected to fear. Because we just don't know everything. And we can't control everything. And we know that the world is broken. We know that the world is dangerous and know how difficult all of that is to handle for us at times. And we turn on the news and, and the news doesn't help. The news just fuels our worry, telling us way too much about the broken world that we live in and the consequences of it. Here was a headline from this week that I read. Amid coronavirus pandemic, dentist reports uptick in tooth fractures. Since the onset of the pandemic, says Dr. Chen, owner of Central Park Dental Aesthetics in Manhattan, I've listened to patient after patient describe sudden restlessness and insomnia. These are hallmarks of an overactive or dominant sympathetic nervous system which drives the body's fight or flight response. This tension is then directed toward the teeth with many patients unaware that they are grinding and clenching their teeth. Even when we're not actively worrying, we're worrying in our sleep. And the world wants the solution, but they don't know where to go. Here's one book title, The Worry Cure, Seven Steps to Stop Worry from Stopping You. I won't read you the steps. When we can't cure it, we we cope, right? If we can't cure worry, we'll cope with worry. We'll, We'll drown it out in some way. We'll make ourselves numb to it, or we'll just flitter on the surface. As Pastor Vol said earlier, hakuna matata, no worries. Brothers and sisters, it seems like a good Sunday to be here in God's providence because the Bible gives us such a better path. The Lord doesn't want you to live in anxiety and fear. He's got something better for you. Do you know know that the most frequent command in the Bible is this? Do not be afraid. That's the most frequent command in the scriptures. Do not 
be afraid. And so in a world of uncertainty, in a world that we can't control, these words of Jesus, these words from our Savior, they're gold. And we need to hear them again. We need to own them again. We need to live in them again. And we need to proclaim them to the world. You see, when our friends tell us, hey, don't, don't worry about that. It's an encouragement in difficult times. It's a nice thing to say. Thanks, friend. But when Jesus in Matthew 6 says, do not be anxious about your life, when the Holy Spirit says to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, it's actually a command. It's not optional. And to do otherwise is sin. And so when we take fear and its companion worry together, we've got to recognize that these are spiritual matters. Worry is tied to faith. Jesus says it in verse 30, O you of little faith. And so the opposite of worry and anxiety is trust. And that is what Jesus is calling you to do this morning. I've heard it said this way, worry is misplaced faith. Worry is the fruit of unbelief. And here's the thing, for all of you listening this morning, or today, or whenever you're watching this. This isn't possible without Jesus. It's not possible without Jesus. If, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't bowed the knee to Jesus, if you're not seeking to follow Jesus, then you are presently bound only to yourself and only to the cruel universe and whatever it decides to do. All these circumstances outside of your control. But I have the privilege of proclaiming to you that there's a better way. That there's hope. Because of Jesus. Not just because of his words, but because of his person. So two promises from this passage lie before us. We could spend a lot of time here, believe me. We could spend a lot of time in this passage, but I just want to briefly focus on two promises, and they both have to do with with being set free. Jesus wants to reshape how we look at the world because he knows at one point or another, maybe even presently and powerfully, we have been trapped, we've been gripped, we've been enslaved by worry. And so in the midst of our fragile lives, he gives, he gives us this morning the promise, the power, and the pathway to peace. And so the first truth is this, don't worry You are kids of the king. Don't worry. You are kids of the king. What I mean by that, in other words, is when we don't keep before our hearts that God is our heavenly father, we worry. When we don't keep before our hearts that our Father is the King of kings, we fear. This entire sermon in Matthew 
the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's, it's rich in instruction and encouragement. There are hard words to be found here. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll study it soon. Hard words like if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But laced throughout the entire sermon and throughout the entire instruction that Jesus gives on this hillside is this one simple promise. You are my sons and daughters. Let me just show you real quick. Chapter 5 verse 9 sons of God. Chapter 5, verse 16, that they might give glory to the Father in heaven. Chapter 5, verse 45, love your enemies that you may be sons of the Father. Chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 6, verse 1, you'll have your reward from your Father Chapter 6, verse 4, your Father sees what is happening in secret. Verse 8 of chapter 6, your father knows what you need. Verse 9, so pray our father. Verses 14 and 15, forgive as your father forgives. Verse 18, again, your father sees what is done in secret. Father, 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 all those passages. Bring us to this passage today. And Jesus is making the point of reminding us specifically of the fatherhood of God in order that we might be free from worry. Because when we forget who God is, we forget who we are, and God doesn't want us to forget either. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Don't you remember, just think back with me for a moment. Don't you remember the reckless abandon of being a child in your earthly father's care? I was thinking about this some this week, and I was thinking about when I was a young boy, and I went to Disney World down in Florida, to the Epcot Center, and I went there with my family, and my dad was obviously in control. He's the one who drove. He's the one who found the hotel. He's the one who fed us, and, and I was just there to enjoy, blissfully enjoy all that was there at Disney World. Fast forward 35 years to about five years ago when I'm at Disneyland and I'm now the father and I have five kids with me and a wife. Little bit of a different experience. How the heck am I going to feed all these mouths? Where are we going to sleep? Why isn't there a gas station close by? We're about to run out of gas. Very different experience. And I think back to those experiences of being a son in my father's house. And I know that unfortunately many of you didn't have that kind of rich experience with your earthly father, but Jesus proclaims to you nonetheless that you can have that experience with your heavenly father. You can have the experience that your father loves you and cares for you. And you can rest in that love, knowing that he has the power to do whatever he desires to do. Right? And those are the two things that Jesus reminds us of here. 
First of all, his love, the Father's love and desire to care for you. Jesus, is, Jesus uses the, the how much more argument to make this point. The birds, the flowers, the grass, all these things are temporary. All these things are secondary, and yet they're all clothed. They're all fed, and here you sit, or there you sit, as image bearers of the triune God, rational, creative, responsive, giving a soul that will last forever. And in all of your mess and in all of your baggage, you are his delight. And so the words of a tender father in Isaiah 43 that are spoken to his chosen people, they speak to you this morning. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so Jesus wants to simply remind you that you are loved, that you are precious in his sight. That he knows what you need. He knows what you don't have. He knows what you desperately want. And he is generous. Thinking again about my own earthly fatherhood. If one of my children said to me, I don't trust you, dad. I don't believe that you love me. That would be so hurtful. It would be an affront to me. John Owen, one of the Puritans wrote, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. Think about that for just a moment. In Christ, you are a son. You are a daughter. You are a kid of the king. And your worry separates you from him. Believe that he loves you. And trust him. But it's not just that he loves you. That's the first thing Jesus draws our attention to. But also, he has the power to change our circumstances. No more than that, he actually is the one who ordains our circumstances. He's working towards the good of those who love him. And this is where all those robust words that we looked at in the, in the book of Esther come in. Words like sovereignty and, and providence and concepts like the decree of God. Right, The Heidelberg Catechism, one of our documents from our heritage, Heidelberg Catechism, answer 27, says, Leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. 
Brothers and sisters, worry is looking for control. Worry says, if I imagine the worst, I will be prepared. And your heavenly Father says to you this morning, you don't need to be prepared. I will care for you. In the grandest events of life, to the mundane moments that shape your days. Just trust me. Don't worry. You're kids of the King. That is the promise for you from Matthew 6 and from Jesus' own mouth this morning. And it leads us to the second truth that I want us to think about for just a few moments. And it's this. Jesus gives peace through a new affection. Jesus gives peace through a new affection. You see, peace is ultimately what we are after. That's what we want. Nobody wants to worry. We want peace. And when I say peace, I'm not speaking of merely the absence of of conflict. I'm, I'm speaking of wholeness of living life the way that it ought to be lived. And Jesus, in this passage that I just read to you from Matthew 6, Jesus not only focuses on the qualitative difference between you and I as creatures and a heavenly Father who loves us, who has made us his own, who can do all things, but he also focuses on the difference between the kind of stuff that the world holds dear and that which really matters. You see, the gauntlet was thrown down in verses 19 through 24, where Jesus says, who's going to be the master of your life? You can only have one. And so what will it be? Who will it be? You can serve self. You can serve yourself through money and through the power that it wields. That kind of treasure that will rot and be gone, or you can serve God, the eternal treasure, a kingdom that will never fade, and an inheritance that is secure. So who will it be? You can live hungry for control, or you can live as a dependent child. You see, it's a matter of perspective, that reflects the state of our hearts, Jesus says. Following Jesus demands that you believe that there is more to this life than just your clothes, than just your food, than just your own pleasure and comfort and reputation and legacy and health and even your life that there is more than all of that. You see, our stuff, it it tethers us to earth and it, it does so not just in our focus and in our pursuit, but in our fear and in our worry. Our fear and our worry reveals what we value the most. And Jesus says, the Gentiles, those who are not God's people, they run after those things, but you are different. You are called to be different. You're called to reflect peace. 
And so embracing Jesus, embracing your sonship and and daughtership, the fact that you're kids of the king gives you a new affection, a new ambition. And here it is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of those other things will be added to you. Well, how do we do that? (laughs) What does that path look like? Well, in a sense, it's the whole Bible. (laughs) It's the whole revelation of God. It's, It's all of his word, all of his commands. But let's just focus on a couple places. In addition to Jesus' words here, in addition to believing who you are in relationship to God and remembering that fact, it begins with living your life with a posture of dependence that looks like prayer and that looks like thanksgiving. Let me read a couple passages. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. We looked at this recently. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, another familiar passage that I alluded to, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, prayer, prayer which puts things into perspective, that is the pathway to peace. That is what guards our hearts and our minds and therefore changes our lives. I found a great quote on this from the old English preacher, British preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he speaks of this verse, Philippians 4, 7, and that idea of guarding our hearts and minds. And he says this, he says, what will happen is that this peace of God will walk around the ramparts and towers of our life. We are inside and the activities of our heart excuse me, the activities of the heart and mind are producing those stresses and anxieties and strains from the outside, but the peace of God will keep them out. And we ourselves inside will be at perfect peace. So what what a great picture that conjures up in our mind. Humility and prayer and dependence and and thankfulness. That's what seeking first the kingdom looks like. It's not all that seeking first the kingdom looks like, but it's the beginning steps to that path to perfect peace. And from there, we, we could go to Paul's words at the end of Philippians, right after these words where he says, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. Think on these things. And he says, think on these things. Why? Because the peace of God will then be with you. And that's a whole nother sermon series in itself. 
Brothers and sisters, our, our model for this is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who knew the will of the Father, a will that would crush him and turn his back on him, and yet Jesus was never fearful and never gripped with, with worry. Yes, he cried out in agony. He prayed that there might be some other way, and yet ultimately he entrusted himself to into he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And you and I are not Jesus. We are not God, but if he was able having the spirit of God with him based upon how much he knew that the Father loved him, based upon the focus of his life, if he was able to trust to the point of death, surely we can trust in these little moments. For we've been given the same Spirit who lives in us, who reminds us that that we are kids of the King. We need not worry. That we can have peace as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you not only for the Lord Jesus, for his life, death, and resurrection, but also for his words here, words that that cut to our hearts, words that reveal the things that we value, the things that our flesh so easily go to, but we want to be those who who abide in Christ. We want to be those who live by the Spirit. We want to be those who, when fear and worry come our way, we are reminded of who we are. We are humbled and prodded to cry out to the one who cares for us. And so I pray for all who listen to this, those who are here this morning, those listening from afar, in a world where there is plenty to fear, plenty to worry about, May we, by your spirit and by your grace, be enabled to live lives of such peace and even joy that the world might see and know whose we are and whom we serve. Father, make it so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.